Tried to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, you're able to take away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. quit this is fucking ridiculous <laughs> all right guys we're back steven quit beginning of the show so i guess it's just gonna be me today even though you're still uh, here yeah i <laughs> caught the end of that conversation but uh <laughs> yeah we're we're back uh it's steven and i again couldn't convince the guys to get on with us it's uh per usual at this point but no no they had stuff going on early morning show so you're stuck with us for today but we're gonna be breaking down the trade deadline moves Pat Verbeek made. I know uh, a few of you were probably on the live show we did on Monday, so you've heard some of this before, but we're just going to condense a lot of those conversations, take it down from a four-hour show and uh, break down all those moves and what they mean for the Ducks and look at the last three games that it contributed to what? This is an eight-game losing streak now for the Ducks? Is it eight nine. or nine? Nine now. Yeah, so the last, nine last night. last three games this week, all losses, uh, Nashville, San Jose, and who am I missing? The middle midweek game. I don't remember who oh that my was. God. I, um, I don't know why I can't remember who that was against, but I don't know. Let me just check this stupid play. What what a start. Uh Chicago. Four two loss to Chicago on Wednesday. Oh, there you yeah. yeah. So we'll look at that. Uh Troy Terry hit thirty goals. Zegris hit thirty one assists, which is a new rookie record for the Ducks, passing Cam Fowler. Uh Lucas Dosso had a start last night, so we'll look at that as well and break down uh, some of the potential roster moves we might see. Uh, by the end of the year, Braden Tracy, Hunter Drew, Jacob Pro, we might see them get some call-ups here soon. So we'll break that all down, but we're starting to kick things off with the trade deadline. Do you want to go all the way back to the Manson trade? I know that was like the only one we actually broke down on a show that we recorded and released because uh, that was before the trade deadline. Do you want to go over that one again? Or I know Hell- Hellison signed and played a few games in, with the goals now, so... Yeah, I mean, I guess the only the only real parts of it that just are worth mentioning is, like you said, is uh, Drew Hellison signed his uh, ELC pretty quickly after. Uh, there was some hope that maybe he was going to come up and burn a year at the end of this one, or maybe try to get a slide rule or something like that. I don't, I don't think he's old enough for this, or I think he's too old for a slide rule or something like that. Uh, but he ended up signing a ELC that'll start next year, and then he's on an ATO uh, with the goals right now. And so, it's probably yeah, the, I probably think, the best move for him to to do yeah, that, I and for so. the Ducks too, right? Is that the ELC doesn't begin this year for him to play maybe two games with the Ducks, right? It starts next year where he might get some considerable time with the team, and now he gets you know to finish out the season, play his first few games of pro hockey with the Gulls, and get a shot. And it doesn't really affect the Ducks contract wise; they still get him in the full ELC starting next year. Yeah, no, exactly, and I think. You know, it's good because it kind of gives them uh, kind of like an antechamber, I guess. Like, it gives him a place to get that kind of few little bit of transition window from college into the AHL. And then next year, I imagine, you know, he'll be part of rookie camp and he'll be at the, the tournament. I'm sure that they'll probably be in Irvine again and that kind of stuff. And so he's going to be, I think, in a little bit of a better place to maybe try to be a surprise 
uh, roster player coming out of camp next year. But yeah. for now, he just kind of gets to have a lot of that pressure off of him, you know, because he's already signed the contract. He already knows he's not coming up until next year at the earliest. So this year is really for him just kind of gravy. And I think it, it's worked out really well. Or yeah. it looks like it has the potential to be very beneficial. Yeah, and he's the most interesting piece, I think, that the Ducks got at the deadline. Like, a lot of picks, which obviously we won't see what those turn into until this year's draft next year, and, and a couple of them are in 2024. So a, a little ways away till we see kind of what those turn out to be. But of the players they got, he's the one with the highest upside. Like, you know, John Moore was a throw-in, actually was dealt to Vegas, and then that Dadanov trade uh, kind of fell through. So a guy that we're not going to see too much of. Zach Ashton Reese and, and Dominic Simone are nice players, and, and I like, the, you know, what they bring to the defensive side of the game. I think they're good value adds for the Ducks, but they're not going to wow you. Callie Klang is interesting. I have really didn't watch much of him until um, I looked up some stuff after he got traded to Anaheim. But seems to be doing pretty good in, in the top league in Sweden and a good young prospect for the Ducks to add to Lucas Dostal and some of the young goaltenders they have coming up. But Hellison's the one we can really watch right now that's young enough that you can kind of project into this lineup in the future, which make you know a lot of pressure on that kid for sure. Um, that all of a sudden, you know, we've slotted him in as the top four right-handed D of the future to go behind Drysdale right. because there's nobody else in the, the system that can really fit that right now. That might change over the next couple drafts here, but he's looked pretty good. Like I've I've watched a few highlights from the, from the goals games. I haven't been able to catch a full game, but I know he's picked up an assist. He's he's looked good. The adjustment was always going to be tough going from college to pro hockey. You know, every player handles it differently, but he's a guy that it shouldn't. He's a big enough kid, and and he's got a, a you know well refined defensive game that it, it shouldn't be too hard of an adjustment for him to fit out. So I like. I like this approach to play, you know, probably about 10, 15, 20 games for the goals to finish the year, maybe a playoff run if they can get in. And uh, that primes him for camp, like you said, next year. He should have a leg up on a lot of these guys, just, you know, and, and how close to the NHL he is and uh, and have a good shot uh, at making camp or making the team out of camp next year with not really a lot of competition on the right side of defense in front of him. It's going to be Drysdale, Shattenkirk, and then him, presumably, next in the depth chart with Manson gone now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think that, I mean, you look at the team now, right, and the right side of the defense, as far as locks, are only Jamie and Shattenkirk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond that, there's probably one or two spaces that'll be open depending on what they do with like a seventh D. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens with Schuster this summer. Uh, you know, Axel Anderson is a player who's had some some good run uh, down in San Diego. So there's enough competition that I don't think he can expect to walk into it. But I think if you are looking at it based on you know, like you said, the kind of the game he plays and his size and um, his his strength being part of like skating, I think he'll be in a position to probably take that job. Uh, you know, if he's ready, I don't think there's much in his way to to take that job. I think um, the left side is going to be interesting. I think uh, I'll, it'll be very curious to see kind of what happens on the left side. You know, because the other player obviously that came in was back in Iden and what he is going to be able to do. He's had some concussion problems and some injury issues and he's still pretty young. I don't think he's like 22 or something. Yeah. 
you know, so what he is able to kind of step in and do, it'll be really interesting. I mean, at this point, I think you can only really say that there are three locks to be on this defense next year. And, you know, your your kind of mileage on Benoit and Mahara may vary a little bit. Um, you know, I've been pretty impressed with Benoit. He's had, you know, blips and stuff here, but he's been he's been physical in the corners. He had a really good hit last night. Um, you know, I think he moves the puck well. He makes decent passes. Like, yeah, he fought the, a couple games ago too, didn't he? I think so. No, I think that was Schuster. Might have been, yeah. Got in a okay. fight out of nowhere, even though he's not much of a fighter. Um, you know, but I, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how it develops because I would like to see, I think I've said it before, like I would really like to see a Benoit Drysdale pairing. I just want to see what that looks like. Yeah. Um, but as of now, like, I, you know, I don't know that there's any reason not to just keep Drysdale with Fowler and kind of let that be your best pair. Yeah, I mean, that Drysdale's been used to it this year playing on the top pair with Hampus Lindholm. And, again, Shattenkirk, is, they, they seem to like to put him with a certain type of defenseman where they can allow him to do what he does offensively and not really have to worry about him being having a negative impact defensively, which is what we've kind of come to expect from him. So Drysdale, again, you know, being so young but still being the second best right-handed defenseman we have on this team he has to kind of get slotted up in the lineup at this point and, and maybe with Hellison coming in that helps a little bit where you can potentially mm-hmm. slot Hellison up and give Drysdale a bit of a break and put him with somebody like Benoit where you you know he gets the Shattenkirk treatment in the sense that okay you can focus on you know breaking the puck out getting joining the rush and you've got a guy back there who you know is going to be there at, at all times so if you get caught up every now and then it's not the worst thing because you don't have Fowler doing the exact same thing on the other side and then nobody's back, mm-hmm. right? So I think we'll see that at some point. But, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's only three locks next year for sure, and it's Fowler, Drysdale, and Shattenkirk. And beyond that, you know, Benoit, I think, has uh, a leg up on a lot of these guys. Mahura maybe as well. But with Vakaninen, you know, as much as you probably don't want to hear the name, Jacob Larson, Brendan Gooley as well, you know, if they come back, I believe both of them are RFAs at the end of this year. Um, you know, Axel Anderson, like you said, and Hellison now. Uh, Henry Thrun might sign his entry-level contract with Harvard season done. You know, I, I don't know if he'll go back for another year or not. So that's another guy you could put into the mix of either getting at least AHL time, if not impressing in camp and getting a shot. So, you know, the, the list grows every year as a lot of these guys transition. We talked about Zellweger, too. I mean, he's going to go to camp. What if he impresses? There, there's really nothing he has to go back and prove in junior the just question is, is he physically ready for the NHL? But he'll get a shot, too. So there's a ton of these guys who are all going to be mixing it for only three spots, which um, it's going to be fun in competition to see, right? And, and that's that's what I kind of I think that's kind of what you want, right, is, is this internal competition between anywhere from eight to ten guys for three spots. The guys who impress the most are going to win those spots, and that's that's how it should be right now, I think. And it's it's good for the young players like Zellweger and Hellison and even Benoit to some extent. They can't just expect a spot to be there, right? They mm-hmm. they have to prove that uh, that they deserve it, and it, it, it opens it up to some of these dark horse guys to come to camp and press and, and earn a roster spot. Yeah, it's it's interesting, too, because you mentioned, you know, they kind of keep Shattenkirk with a certain type of guy. But I, I think the thing that's interesting is, like, Right now, they're doing Shattenkirk Mahura and Benoit Schuster. And it's so funny to me because in my head, right, I would just be like, well, put Benoit with Shattenkirk and Schuster with Mahura because Mahura and 
Shattenkirk are a little bit more like Maher a little bit less so, but like obviously Shattenkirk's an offensive kind of yeah. break the puck out, get in kind of guy, and, and Maher has a little bit of that upside to his game as far as being able to be like a transition defenseman and stuff. I think he's looked pretty good in his own end. He's still he's still learning and stuff like that. I think at this point, if he makes it above the second pair, something went wrong. Uh, but I still think he can be, uh, you know, a good contributing player um, down the line. But they don't seem to want to do it that way. And so it's very interesting to me that you kind of end up with this kind of very physical second pair and then a little bit more of a, a, a skating third pair with Shattenkirk and Mahura kind of being on the third pair. Um, but like you said, it's it's good to have that kind of internal competition. And I think you can't have it both ways, right? Which is, I think, where Anaheim has kind of been in the past, where they've had a handful of guys who are competing for spots, but they also don't really have enough spots to make the competition honest. Um, you know, I think of, like, the wing situation for a little while, and it was like, okay, well, there's Raquel and Silverberg and Perry, and those are it. Like, those are three. So we know that the best... You know, if they want to adjust that, they can play Raquel on his offside. Um, we saw that when he was with Getsy Perry and that kind of stuff. So that's fine. That maybe gives you another one. But we've seen Anaheim's fourth line pretty consistently until, I would say, the last few games has predominantly been, you know, your traditional fourth line, heavy energy line kind of thing, which just takes away three spots you know that takes away one spot at every forward position for you and I, I don't necessarily mind that decision because you've got nine guys ahead but if you do have if you're just going to be top nine bottom line you need to have real spots that these guys can step into mm -hmm. and we're starting to see that now with Raquel moving out and, yeah like you know, well, yesterday's kind of... game was a big indicator of that right like the fourth line will steal Letary and who, who else come to right so I mean it's mm -hmm. the fourth line on paper but all all four lines had, you know, some skill, some offense to it. You know, you could you could put a more skillful player on that fourth line and not worry that you're burying them with two guys who can't really get anything done offensively right now. Not that Letary and Steele jump off the page by any means, but it's a different approach from what we've seen. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing, right? It, it's it's not even so much that like you're burying them with anchors. It's like for, again for me. Right? I don't look at it that way so much as I look at you dropping a guy into a fourth line and asking him to play a different role. Um, I don't mind it for a handful of games early, right? When someone's kind of getting their teeth wet. Like, like, I said, like I've said it before, like Bobby Ryan played on the fourth line uh, with Peros and Marshawn, I think, at one point early in his rookie year. Like, you know, you, you see guys kind of come in and play on the fourth line where there's not a lot of pressure. They're probably the most talented guy just based on the way it works. And so, you know, it's like, all right, let's see what you can do. But this is, you know, this is just different because what that, that fourth line with Steele and Materi is going to be asked to do is very different. It gives uh, Comtois an ability to, to kind of get more aggressive and, and be that kind of uh, forechecking front net kind of guy. Um so it'll be interesting. But as far as the defense is concerned, like I think, you know, they have half the defense open. And you could say because you're going to carry seven defensemen, there's four spots basically. And, yep. you know, I would really like to see Gooley get a long look at it. I really still am intrigued, I guess, by what I think he can be. But, 
you know, you've got him, you've got uh, Thrun, and you've got uh, who am I not missing? Uh, Mahura. And I just I don't know how many of those guys you can you can do something with. And if some of these guys start to make leaps next year, I wonder if you know Mahura or Benoit or Guguli is a guy that we see get moved at the uh, draft. Yeah, I could, I could see. I mean, I, eventually somebody does, and and whether it's getting moved or just not getting re-upped as an RFA, like Jacob Larson's a, a case at this point, has looked okay in with San Diego, but that's not what you want from a guy, you know, former first round pick and did not really cut at the NHL level. He's a guy that I could imagine they move on from. We've talked about Sam Steele, and I'm sure they'll bring him back, but guys who are RFAs who haven't kind of lived up to what we hoped this season, those are guys that you could expect to kind of see go out the door and you know hitting on that that fourth line thing before we move on to um you know the, the guys who would they could have made that fourth line like that's the big thing for me yesterday they could have done that you know they could put grant mayhew dominic simone together and that would have been like that traditional fourth line that we've seen like a physical they don't do a lot else kind of presence but they they moved guys around they said okay Mayhew and Simone you're playing with Getzlaff's back this is who you're playing with it's a rough rough uh, welcoming back for Getzlaff to play with those two guys uh, and then they stuck Derek Grant with with Zegers and Terry which I'm not a huge fan of I would have rather come to play up there uh, but I can I can see why at this point in a sense and you brought this up before the show and on, on why they they don't want Maxim come to there at this point and, and I really did like the Zach Ashton, Reese, Isaac Lindstrom, Sam Carrick line. I thought that fit well together. And, you know, you're missing still some key guys in Henrik and Silverberg. So this would change with everybody healthy. You'd probably see both Henrik and Silverberg with uh, with Getzlaff, and there'd be a bit more depth there. But, yeah, I, I mean, it, it was nice for one game to move away from that. A lot of that, again, is, you know, no Nick Delorier, so they can't really just shoehorn those guys into the fourth line. They've got to... You know they've got to kind of be a bit more flexible and and change things up game game by game, and especially when you're in a nine game losing streak at this point too, you've got to kind of switch things up and try and get out of a slump and generate some chemistry somewhere. And you know Zegers, Terry, and Grant the last game looked pretty good. Grant got what two goals in that game, so mm-hmm. you, you're not going to break them up at that point. So I understand it. I know a lot of people were upset that Derek Grant is still getting put there. When you've got a guy like Maxim Comtois, the way that line played last year with Comtois, Zegers, and Terry, the first thought is just put them together and see what they can do. But there is something to, to rewarding guys playing well together, especially when you're in a slump and trying to get some chemistry and, and some familiarity in the line. So I'm, I'm fine with it for now. Now, if they start struggling, then we can switch it up and maybe we can see them together. But you, I don't think you break them up after the game that they had. Yeah, I think for uh, for me, the thing about it is, like, at at five on five, the Grant thing is fine. Um, as far as being on that line, like, it's not optimal. I get why, you know, like I, I mentioned, like you said, I mentioned before the show, like he got walked by Murphy last night, mm-hmm. and it's like. It's not that he got beat. It's that when he got beat, he looked like a statue. Like, his feet were just there, wide open, and he just got beat. And, you know, so it's just one of those things that just doesn't look good. And so I think, you know, having Comtois down there, Grant up or whatever, like, it's fine. Like, Grant plays a role. He's going to be physical. I thought last night we kind of saw the benefit of having him 
around those guys, you know, uh, at the end, towards the end of the game or the or later in the game, uh, Zegers and Dreesdale got into it uh, behind the net with them, and Grant was in there right away and grabbing guys around the neck and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think that's fine. Like, as far as the end of this season is going, it's obviously not optimal from a skill point. Um, but, you know, there's only so many guys that you can kind of move around. And, look, Derek Grant has the A. Like, they obviously think that he has some value beyond just, you know, just being a skilled hockey player, which he's not, right? He's, yeah. he's a fourth-line grinder. Like, that's just what he is. But he has done a lot for this franchise over the last couple of years. He stepped into big roles. He scored big goals. He, I mean, look, the elite 1C thing is a joke, but it started because there was a time where Grant was the only light at the end of that tunnel. Yep. And it's not where you want to be but it doesn't mean it's not the case. And he's been a consistently hard worker. He doesn't take shifts off. He's running around out there. You can see him. He's on the penalty kill. He's been on the power play. Like, uh, you know, so that for me is a little bit less of a concern. But like you said, you would like to see Comtois get up and you would like to feel that maybe what they're trying to do is give Comtois a little bit more run at the end of this season to kind of find his footing again. Um, but it'll be cur- it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays. I, I would disagree a little bit with Mayhew. I, I think Mayhew was looked fantastic. Yeah. He, he drew, I, what, um, four penalties you know, in his I, debut? I, he had that <laughs> his first game. Yeah. He had a goal last night. Like, I, I don't think that I have him quite down with uh, Grant and Carrick and guys like that. But... Um, you're, but, getting, you're getting called out still yeah, for, yeah. for the way you pronounce Zegos and Drysdale. Am I supposed to say Simon Benoit? Yeah, and, and uh, Dominic Simon. Dominic Simon. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things with the end of this season that I hope, to some extent, Dallas Eakins kind of pulls pulls off the restraints a little bit and maybe tries to put some of these guys in some different positions. But at the same time, like you have to reward work, you have to reward uh, effort and consistency and stuff like that. And some may be like, Oh, Grant's consistently bad. And like, yeah, I get it. But like the effort stuff, I think really matters, especially on a young team like this. Uh, So, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of see the way that this all, all breaks towards the end of the season. But there is a lot to be excited about and I think I mentioned this on the deadline show like it's very funny to me that the two waiver claims that uh, Verbeek has made are pretty emblematic of his kind of roster uh, idea right like he's even said it. he wants to get bigger on the back end he wants his, his players to get bigger and stuff like that and he brought in you know Schuster's a giraffe he's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, something like that he's just a big guy long reach whatever uh-huh. and then he brought in Mayhew who I think is like four and a half feet tall and he's just a burner like he's just an all effort skill and speed kind of guy and you know there's caps I guess on how much of that skill but that speed is going to allow him to be effective on forecheck it's going to allow him like he was getting time on the first power play unit last night because he can go and just run around behind the net and go get retrievals and he can beat guys and he's you know he's not I guess what you would think of because like as this in the pejorative term but like he's a gritty dude like he gets it in there 
and he really goes for it, and he's not afraid to go into those corners. Like, he got blasted last night into the boards, and I was honestly more annoyed that nobody went after Maloche than I was that there wasn't a penalty call. Yeah. Um, and we can get into that later if you want, because <laughs> I tweeted out that Wolverine <laughs> thing. But, you know, I just think... We're going we're gonna to talk about Dez in a minute, so it, it works the, out. <laughs> there's there's a lot of things to be excited about. There's a lot of things to watch. But if this you know if this lost streak runs out to ten twelve games, I don't I don't think there's much to be surprised about. No, I mean it was always expected that there would be like the Ducks have struggled to score goals all season, and since the All Star game, that you know the the goaltending hasn't been there to kind of help them not. <laughs> have to fish the puck out of the back of the net. So this was already happening and rolling in this direction. And with your two best defensemen, arguably Lindholm and Manson out the door, your one of your top goal scorers this year, Ricard Raquel leaving, and then bringing in no, which again, it's expected. They're pending your face, but bringing in no like for like replacements, the, the team level drops significantly. When you lose those three guys, you lose Lindholm, Manson, Raquel, you bring in, now, the only two guys that are in the roster actually make an impact are Dominic Simone and Zach Ashton-Reese. So you replace those three with those two. Defensively, you might get better, but offensively, it's going to be a struggle. And, and just even, you know, again, the, the defensive setup that you have, you, you've become immediately weaker losing Lindholm and Manson, which... Weird. Yeah, uh, exactly. And two, you know, three tough games this week. Nashville, the way they're rolling right now, that was always going to be a tough game. It's not easy to play Chicago, and, and San Jose is always a, a tough game to go in there and, and try and get a win, especially when you're on the road. You know, the Sharks are struggling this year, but they've they've sort of got somewhat healthy now. I know Couture I don't think played last night, but with Hurdle and Meyer, you know, the Hurdle situation's solved. He seems like he's happy to be there. They're, they're a tough team to go against, and Reimer, for his credit early on, was really, really good. There was um, a couple chances. Mm-hmm. Zegras had... Two chances. He missed the Two one yeah. early on in the game, and then Reimer robbed him in front with a with the glove. So, and, and then throughout the game, Reimer was good. So it's, it's tough games, but this is what you you kind of expect for the rest of the year, right? Is when Henry gets back, it's going to be a little bit better. We might see some call ups, you know, Perot, Tracy at some point that could break into this team. I think Perot deserves it the way he's playing. Tracy also the way he's been playing. That I think they deserve to get it more than one game this year. Um, whether that's Mayu coming out or Grant coming out for a game or Vinny Letary or something like that, I, I think we'll see it at some point. So there's some things to look forward to, but it's it's a tough replacement. Like it is impossible to get better now after that deadline. It was always going to be a struggle for the rest of the year when you're losing impactful players to your roster like that. Yeah, and somebody said it in the chat uh earlier that like there's no way that the ducks can kind of lose right now like even when they lose they just continue to improve the draft position because this is the yeah. first year with the 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 10 slot limit so if they're in uh what is it 11 or 12 they've got like a real outside shot but the more that they're able to uh kind of move in they just increase their opportunity to uh, take that big jump and and hopefully you know end up in the conversation for uh, for Shane Wright. So you know there's that and then like we said hopefully we're gonna get some looks at some of these mid veterans like uh, Simone and Zach Aston Reese. I'm actually really excited about Aston Reese. I think those two can be really solid you know bottom six depth 
assets to this team. I, I'm curious if they'll want to stick around or if they'll want to move on in the summer or whatnot. But those are two guys I 100% would be fine with keeping around for another year or two while this is still going. And, yeah. you know, they're both under 30. I think they're both like 27, 28. So, yep. you know, you're not going to give them five-year deals, but you give them like One or you know, two year deal. two by two or yeah. something like that. Like, yeah, like I don't think it's an issue. If, 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 it's extra you know, extra bodies who have NHL experience, right? Like that's the that's the right. thing. Right, and, and and legitimate NHL caliber, right? Yep. It's not it, it's not borderline guys, right? You're not calling up like Gru and being like, okay, we think you're ready, mm-hmm. but you might not be, but we kind of need you to be. Um, you know, so I think there's there's a lot to be excited about there. But I think you know, it's like you know, like this, say you sign them both to two year deals, and in that second year, the team is farther ahead than you kind of expect it to be. I don't know that it's the worst thing in the world to run in with a fourth line of... They're really, uh, really good bottom six guys. Yeah, they're... they're... Or Simone or whatever. Uh, You know, I just think, like, that that would be a really good fourth line. I would really like to see that be a fourth line or play both of those guys... That's a penalty kill, too, right? uh, Like With Lundestrom. Like, you could have a penalty... Them as a fourth line, right? Or a penalty kill unit where, you know, one of them is... Carrick, Zach Ashton Reese, the other one's Linderstrom and Dominic Simone. I'm fine with that. They've all mm-hmm. proven maybe outside of Linderstrom if but I think he's good enough and, and he's proven a little bit that he can be a penalty killing forward, that all four of them can have a significant impact defensively on this team and be quality defensive forwards. Yeah, uh, and, and that that quality starts with keeping Buddy Robinson in the minors. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's well, he's already there, right? Or is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He so. went back down with Gooley. They were both emergency loans. Yeah, and and that's again uh, good for the Ducks to be able to. And, and not, no offense to Buddy Robinson, I, th- I think he he did a he did a job while he was up here, right? And, Absolutely. And um, you know, he felt he there was a reason they called him up, and and I thought from being a guy really hadn't heard much of. I, I think he, he played pretty well for what you could expect from him. But it is nice now to have guys that have been proven the last couple of years for a very good team that you can slot into the roster. And I thought I thought Dominic Simone looked really good. He had a, a pretty good scoring chance with uh, on the Getzlaff line. And I liked the look of Ashton Reese with Lindstrom and Carrick. So I'd, I'd like to see that moving forward. And it's a, the, in the works of another kind of good defensive shutdown line for, for the Ducks to have those three together. And, Again, guys, you can move up and down the lineup, which is nice to see. So when this team does get better and you start to see guys like McTavish and Perot get called up, it is nice to have Perot, or not Perot, uh, Reese and Simone, if you can lock them down to even a one- or a two-year deal, that if things are just not working out for McTavish or just not working out for Perot, they can go back down to the American League and Ashton Reese or Dominic Simone can slot up in the lineup. And you've got good quality NHL forwards who can – you know, fill a slot while you are not hurting those guys' development. You can send them back down to the AHL to get some more seasoning. Now, obviously, we hope that McTavish comes up next year and looks great, but there's always the chance that he needs a bit more time in the AHL, right? So it is nice to, to kind of have those guys stick around that have shown they can have a positive impact on the lineup, right? So it, uh, I would hope that we see both of them get re-signed. It'd be nice to have a little bit of, of versatility. It's guys who can play on the left or the right and um, and and just have a solid night. They don't have to really, you know, contributing offensively is always going to be not really at the top of the pecking order for them. But you know they're going to go out there, they're going to work hard, and they're not going to hurt the team defensively. So I think it's it's always great to have a lot of those guys around. And when there's a reason Pittsburgh liked Zach Ashton Reese so much over the last couple of years. Now I understand 
you know, they had to make things work cap wise. They needed a score. They've got a few guys that can kind of do what Ashton Reese and Simone do now. And it just, you know, the, the cap just worked out perfectly that with Raquel 50% retained and Ashton Reese and Simone going back, it was almost identical to what Ricardo Raquel's cap hit worked out. So right. I felt like they were almost not throw in pieces, but pitch was like, we have to move these guys out. So they're going, I'm sure they didn't want to because of how impactful right. they've been for the team defensively, but it, Malkin can't forever play with you know nobody. They needed a guy like Ricard Raquel, and I think for the Ducks it works out. I'd, I'd like to see both these guys come back for around you know a two by two or one by one point five and get another shot on, on a full season with Anaheim. Yeah, I think the other thing I like about those two specifically is you can kind of use them like uh, like floaties, right? Like if you have a guy like McTavish who's up and maybe he's struggling a little bit, but he still is clearly like we need to keep him up he's just working through some stuff you can put those two guys on his wings and know Uh that he's insulated a little bit and they don't necessarily have uh a huge offensive upside obviously but i think that they're they're strong enough that they can kind of help uh you know kind of hold someone up like mctavish or something like that or you know if it is a group right or lunderstrom or something like that right if they they're those guys i just think they they provide a lot of like you said versatility they provide a lot of value and uh, i i would really really like to see them stick around after this year but you know given the way that they're playing on this team i I wouldn't be surprised if more than a few teams like it would be insane to me if toronto didn't at least call aston reese yeah right like they they just need guys like that and you know, when you are those kind of guys, like I, I you know, Zach Aston Reese has spent his whole year, his entire career on a contender. I don't know that he's going to want to come back and be like, ah, oh, just hang out with these kids while we kind of figure it all out. Like yeah. maybe he will, maybe he's a surfer and he's going to love the beach. Like I have no idea, but he, there's always know, a chance he goes back to Pittsburgh, like to right? Like there, there's a chance yeah. whether yep. Pittsburgh can bring back Raquel or not. I, I think that's going to be tough for them to, to resign him long term. Um, would you keep Rust over Raquel, or would you keep Raquel? I would keep Rust over Raquel, just how he fits into that team. Like the worry for me with a guy like mm-hmm. Rust yeah. is, before Pittsburgh, it wasn't much. Is is it just the fit? Like there's some guys, right? Just the fit mm-hmm. with that team and who they play with, it just works. And the him and and Sid, and I know Rust has been moved with with Malkin at times, but he just kind of works in that team. Right and and if I'm Pittsburgh, I would I'd probably take Rust any day over Raquel. If if we're talking about another team, um, I would probably take Raquel. I, I my iPad's like Siri turned on randomly. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it wanted to answer the question: Who's better, Rust or, or Raquel? But uh, yeah, no, I would I would have I would have Rust. But if uh, I think it just depends on the team. Like Rust, I, anywhere else, I'd be worried about his his fit. I know he's a great yeah. player. It's just I, I can't I for some reason I just can't get past that. Just again The what, dunk potential. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. when he came to Pittsburgh, right, he was like, Okay, this is like a third or a fourth liner and all of a sudden he puts up like, you know, a point per game season. You're like, God damn, where'd this guy come from? But Sid's made a, a career out of playing with guys who probably shouldn't be playing on the first line and, and boosting them up a bit. But you know, I'll give Russ credit, he's been he's backed it up. It wasn't a one season wonder, right? He's 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 done it for what two or three years now, so yeah, at least yeah, he's been solid. Um, the other thing, real quick, while we're just talking about Pittsburgh guys, is uh, I know neither of us 
um, had a ton of uh, like information on him. But when you when you I saw that you retweeted Byron's tweet, Byron Bader, who does the the prospect uh, kind of comparisons and projections based on points and league and things like that. And he has um, Callie Clay is a really strong prospect based on his work and. I I think it's really interesting, you know, that we talked about it uh, a little bit now, is that the Ducks now have seemingly two very promising young goaltenders. They've got, on top of that, they've also still got Ole Eriksson Ek, who seems like he can be a perfectly fine NHL goaltender. And then they've got Gage Alexander, who's a six foot six project. And, you know, it seems really like they're just kind of continuing or like for beak is making a concerted effort to kind of really get specific players in in right like we talked about on the deadline show i think hellison and, and back in nine and are kind of like for likes for the guys that they went out yeah they, they came back for um and you know now to see two veterans and Callie Klang come in and be like, okay, you know, um, they've got picks now. They can be aggressive either at the draft or in the trade market or things like that. Um, but I think adding Callie Klang is a very interesting sign because I don't know that we would have said another goalie prospect was at the top of our list, but it's hard to say it's bad to have two potentially high end goalie prospects. So, yeah. um, you know, for beak really just seems to be kind of trying to, spread everything out as wide as he can and just bring things in to just make the group as a whole stronger regardless of uh, perceived depth. I would say, we talked about this, uh, the Hockey News made the Ducks the number one team in Future Watch. It has to do with, you know, the, the I think it's players under 21 and you know upcoming picks in the draft and they were number one. And a lot of, a lot of good teams that could be in that range. Um you know, LA, uh, New Jersey, Buffalo, all teams that could be up there. But I, I think the, the thing that for me that sets the Ducks apart is just how well-rounded that prospect pool is now. Like all positions, they have a guy or two that are, are top quality. You know, you think at center now, you've got Mason McTavish and and obviously Zegers now in the NHL on the wings. You've got Perot, you've got Tracy, you've got Pastor, Colangelo, different types of players too. You know, mm-hmm. we've got the skill guys, the solid, you know, the big energy guys who can score in Colangelo, that type of thing. Uh, the the gritty kind of go to the net and stick on the ice guys like Braden Tracy that have a little bit of individual skill. On defense, you've got just you know, unbelievable skater and and transition defender in, in Olin Zellweger. Now you bring in Hellison, who's like a Manson kind of 2.0 clone, big physical, rangy, mobile defenseman. And then you've got Lucas Dostal and now Kelly Klang in net. You've just got – you're creating positions of strength in all areas, right? You're 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 mm-hmm. adding to the prospect pool. And, you know, you look at some teams, you look at L.A. and say, okay, you know, what are what are they going to do in net after quick? There, there really isn't – anything there you know Cal Peterson hasn't proven it they've got some great forwards they've got Byfield and Fagamo and other guys up there and Clark and Grons on defense but they they've kind of missing that one piece and in New Jersey it's the, th- the same thing now they've added Luke Hughes the defense looks good they've got you know obviously Jack Hughes and Hisher and Mercer up front and Alexander Holtz on the way but in net there's the question mark there and you know the the closest one for me in terms of, of prospect pool depth is is Buffalo but Again, I think the the Ducks have a few extra high end pieces and, and draft picks that kind of put them over the edge. But yeah, the the Cali Klang edition is is interesting. I 
I'd love to know more in, in terms of, you know, who's, was it Anaheim asking for Clang and Pittsburgh says, okay, or is it asking for somebody else and Pittsburgh says, okay, we're going to, we can do this guy instead and the Ducks, you know, I'd love to know kind of who sought out what. Was it yeah, almost absolutely. like he was the best guy available, so we're going to take him, or was Anaheim looking for another goaltending prospect? Because obviously when this came through, that it was Callie Clang, and earlier in the day on deadline day, we heard about the Gibson rumors surfacing. The first thing everybody thought of was, okay, like this is leading up to a John Gibson trade in the offseason. Um, you know, Lucas Dostal playing great in the AHL, getting a few more starts. They look great yesterday, but it's, it's going to take some time for him to transition to the NHL level. How much stock does this put into a John Gibson trade? Because that's the first thing we're going to hear going into the draft, right, is John Gibson trade rumors start heating up. And I, I still think it's 50-50 at this point, but it, it, does, it does almost allow you to to make that trade now that you've got two solid goaltending prospects that are on their way, guys that project as NHL starters in Clang and Dostal, that maybe you make that trade now. You know, Maybe you get an offer you can't refuse and you feel a bit more comfortable doing so because you've got two guys who project as starters. You've got a project in Gage Alexander. You've got some good other guys that, you know, hit or miss, Ole Eriksson, Ack, and Roman Durney and those guys. But you've got a good, nice mix, and maybe you go out and get another goaltender in this year's draft, and you've got a good pool of, of shots to take at guys making it. And I, I think it's something they'll, they'll assess. I don't think they're actively shopping him, but it I, it starts to give you the flexibility to get it done, right? Yeah, and I think the other thing, and you kind of, you skipped over there, and I don't know, whatever. Anyways, uh, the other thing there is that Stolarz has looked really strong, and Stolarz is under contract for another year, making less than a million dollars. I was very surprised he didn't get traded. Um, I just thought there were a lot of teams who could have used uh, that kind of player or, you know, have a, a good, you know, depth goalie to add to their system. If, if you're in now and you've seen the way Stolarz has played and you're looking at Dostal and say like yeah man he's he's got a, a chance to maybe make it here quicker than not uh, I don't think it's a terrible idea if um, you know you really start to pick a phone up and, and make some phone calls about John Gibson and you know there's a lot of teams out there with uncertain goaltending prospects right like even you know, like you said, New Jersey, like they have Blackwood, but I don't think they're a hundred percent sold on him. It sounds like there is. I, I think it was Merrick and Freeman were talking about it. There's some friction between him and the organization just because, kind of the position he put them in with some of his vaccination status early in the season, and just kind of the way that some of that kind of rubbed the organization. Like, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, Brett mentioned it trading Gibson after the All-Star game is always a bad idea just because it feels like that's kind of when his energy is just completely sapped for him and he's just kind of overwhelmed by, you know, four months of being the best player on the team. Um, But it's going to be really interesting because, I, I, you know, we heard it last offseason. Gibby doesn't want to go through a long rebuild. He, He wants a chance to be a starting goalie for a competing team. And there are a lot of teams that need those guys. Yeah. And a lot that have the assets to get it done too. That's the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and so it'll be really interesting to see what happens. I I think it feels, uh, a little bit more likely today than it did, you know, uh, Monday morning that there's a legitimate chance. John Gibson could be on his way up. Cause as much as we've talked about it, right. Especially with Colorado and Edmonton and, and some of these other teams that really seem to, to need goaltending. Like, 
I think it was always a little bit more of like, oh, that would be really interesting. Like, what could you get back? Trying to assess mm-hmm. what the value of trading a high-end goalie like that is, or a perceived high-end goalie, or whatever you want to say. He's got term. The cap hit's not overly burdensome, um, and it's certainly a deal if he steps back into his full form that we've seen him hit. And you know, it it it's always an interesting way to just kind of get an idea of where the team at. Like, does this make sense? Who does it make sense for? What could we get in return? What does that say about the timeline? That kind of stuff, just as like a mental exercise. But I think it's a little bit more than a mental exercise now heading into into the draft this year. There are teams that are right on the precipice of being able to make a legitimate push for it. Like, And I will be very curious to see um, which, if any of them, uh, make a push for Gibson. Even if it doesn't go through, I would be very curious to know who calls on Gibson once the season is over and, and they kind of realize where they're at. Yeah, the the interesting thing with Gibson too is he does hold some control, right? So the the rumor that came through for a while, I think it's a couple of years, it resurfaces every now and then, is that Buffalo was interested. Well, this guy holds a, a modified no trade clause, like I said, he can submit a ten team no trade list. He's not gonna like. I guarantee you, the ten teams on that are probably the ten bottom teams in the league, or the ten teams he yeah. feels like don't have a chance to win in the next couple of years. I can't imagine um, that Buffalo is on there. It makes it a little bit harder for the Ducks to move him because there aren't going to be a ton of suitors. Like you, there's a lot of teams you can just cross off, right? Florida, no, no chance. Bobrovsky, Knight, no not happening. Boston, I think they really like what they have in Swayman and Olmark. I think they could revisit it if things don't go well for them in the playoffs. But they see, you know, Tampa again, no lockdown. Toronto, maybe because Campbell's done and Murazik is a guy they could easily just move in a deal for John Gibson. So they're one I think to watch because. And again, a lot of this hinges on how they do in the playoffs for a lot of these teams. Toronto, I think, is a top contender to go out and get uh, Gibson. Pittsburgh, I think, could could be in the mix for, for getting John Gibson. Washington, I think Colorado, Minnesota, when we go into the offseason, even St. Louis to some extent. I think those teams could be teams that have some real interest in John Gibson. And it all really hinges on how, how well they do in playoffs and how well their goaltenders do in playoffs. Because if you look at Minnesota's case, I know Fleury's a UFA. I think Talbot's a pending UFA as well. Um, I believe so, at least. Or he's close to Talbot's being. got one more year. Okay. so they, they But they have – and Talbot makes a decent amount, and they have got cap issues where maybe for them like it makes sense. They've got the, the young prospects to do it. To bring in a goaltender who only makes 6.4, and he makes it for the, the next little bit because they're going to be up against the cap. And they're going to want to try and win in the next couple of years. And they, they don't got a lot of flexibility to do so. So they're a team, if things don't go war- well for them in the playoffs, you know, if Fleury just doesn't cut it and Talbot ha- didn't, doesn't prove that he can take over that that spot, I think they're a team who could be interested. Colorado, with Kemper being a, a pending UFA at the end of the season, if he doesn't show up for them in playoffs, I think they could revisit going in for John Gibson. And again, the same for Pittsburgh with Yari and Toronto with Campbell and Washington with Samsonov and Vanacek. If things don't go the way they hope in playoffs, these are the teams that are going to be calling on John Gibson. And the list is long enough that those are all playoff teams that I would imagine a few of them, if not all of them, will be teams that John Gibson will be willing to go to. And it's one of those situations that as we keep going on and the seasons wear on, like it just becomes more and more of a possibility. And, and it feels like an inevitability at some point that it's going to happen. You know, we, we hear these comments every year, like John Gibson is sick of, of losing. The team's not that great. He, for the beginning part of the season, carries the load, and they do pretty well, and then he tails off at the end of the year when things just kind of fall apart. And 
whether it's him asking for a trade or some point, uh, I think I think we're heading in that direction. And and I think having Verbeek here, like we mentioned this on the live stream, a guy who doesn't have any attachment necessarily to these players, that I don't think anybody's safe beyond you know the inevitables like Terry and Drysdale and and Zegras, right? Like I don't think anybody on this team can't be traded, right? So, right. And and John Absolutely. John Gibson's gonna have enough interest, and it's. It's something we'll we'll continue to talk about, but once we get closer to the draft, um, and some teams start calling and, and you know their reality of how their playoff run went, um, I I could see it really start picking up, and it, it and it's one I think if it does happen, it, it likely happens either just before the draft, on draft day, or just after. I, I don't I don't imagine it would go too much longer after that, especially with the lack of real quality goaltenders in free agency this year. I think uh, I think there's going to be a few teams that are, are going to be ringing Pat Verbeek up for John Gibson. Yeah, I think, um, like you said, like I don't I don't think there's anybody on this team over 25 who can't be had, and I think there's more than a few guys under 25 on this team who could be had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a really interesting offseason. Like this is the first time in a while I think there's been this much uncertainty. It's always been a lot more of. I don't know, naive optimism or misguided hope, you know, heading into heading into the draft and, and, and uh, free agency and stuff like that, knowing that free agency was more likely to have an effect on Anaheim as who needs to clear salary than it was ever going to be on who could Anaheim pick up. But I don't think that's the case now. Um, it'll be It'll be curious to kind of see you know, that week into the draft, what kind of names are out there? Because I, I don't think Fowler is going to move. I don't think Fowler is going to give four teams that are going to actively be able to pick him. But I do wonder if somebody calls on him, right? He's had a good year this year. He's had a good couple years. I wonder if somebody calls and, you know, looks at some of these deals that other guys are signing and they're like, oh, he's only making six and a half, right? Yeah. You know, and and maybe they feel like that's a bargain for someone who has, you know, some experience and who's who's been part of a competitive team for a long time. Like, it would be very interesting. I think Anaheim would be hard-pressed both in terms of salary floor and uh, leadership and continuity. Uh, I think... I think they would be hard pressed to replace him, given that the two guys you could say maybe they could do it with just walked out the door. Yeah. Um, but again, like it, it, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Like I don't think the Dadnov trade is anything any of us really necessarily saw coming. Um, you know, so it, it, it's going to be curious. I'm I'm very excited to see kind of what happens and what Verbeek has in stores because he has all the cards and he's got them all real close to his chest. I don't yeah. think even based on this, like. Like, again, we talked about this a few times since he's come in with some of his comments. Like, everything that he's kind of done at this point feels very logical, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing he's done that makes me be like, wait, what? Or what is the thought behind that? You know what I mean? Like, It's all like followed was... one path, one plan, right, that, yeah. that he you set know, up in the beginning. Not committing to older players with significant term. That's one of the things we heard from Lindholm after the trade is he said – Anaheim offered me more money, but they didn't offer me the term I was looking for. So I'm glad that I'm able to be here in Boston and have the kind of term. Um, you know, so I, it seems like he's just being very logical and methodical about how he's working through the problems on this team. And the first thing he had to work through was what to do with the UFAs, and he got them out of there. You know, and he got really good returns. There's a lot to be excited about with what he brought back as far as 
number of picks and just kind of having the uh, ammunition flexibility to be interesting at the draft, in free agency, things like that, and, and helping teams out and pick up picks. They're going to have almost $40 million in cap space, I think, this summer. Like, yeah. It's going to be very, very interesting. And, and I don't think other than they're not going to sign like Evgeny Malkin or Chris Letang, yeah. I don't know that there's too much you can inherently rule out. And I think that's going to be really fun and really exciting for Anaheim fans right now. Yeah, they're in, they're in an interesting spot where – um, they've got a lot of the young players that are on their way to this roster, so things could turn around fairly quickly. Like next year, I think still could be a struggle, but there is a chance, right? Like Zegers and Drysdale take steps forward. Terry comes back and does what he did this year. McTavish comes into the lineup, right? You you see some younger you know wingers and Tracy or Perot become full time NHLers. You've got Hellison who could step into the lineup, right? So all of a sudden, like you know, things could turn around fairly quickly if everything hits, right? We saw a lot of positives this year where the veteran early on where the veterans came back and Henrik and Getzlaff started really well and Terry had the season he did and uh and Zegris breaks out as one of the top rookies in the in the league. Like all of a sudden, you know, the positives started flowing. So you get those remaining constant next year are getting better and then you inject some more young players who stand out, you know, things could turn around fairly quickly. So that's where you could look at maybe adding a free agent, a guy that you don't expect that, that you would bring in to make the the team better sooner rather than later, right? So, and he, and um, Verbeek talked about that. Like, not all these draft picks are going to stay in Anaheim. They could get moved out for other players, right. players who are 20 to 23 that are able to step into the lineup sooner rather than later, or they, they trade them to move up in the draft. Like, not all these picks are going to stay, and you've just given yourself more assets to go out and do something. We've talked about the Chikrin trade, and we've talked about you know different possibilities for the Ducks to go out and get these types of players that are available. You've just given yourself more ammunition to do that, that if you pulled off a trade where you had to move you know, two first-round picks, a second, and a prospect, it doesn't hurt as much as it would have if you didn't make those moves, mm-hmm. right? And I think you know to, to wrap up the, the trade deadline stuff, obviously, um, I want to I want to get your thoughts like a, a grade on how he did. Uh, you know, full summation here: Manson out for Hellison in the second, Delore out for a twenty twenty three third, Lindholm goes to Boston for Moore back in nine in a first and two seconds, and then the Pittsburgh trade where Raquel went for Simone, Aston Reese, Clang in a second. What what would be your grade for Verbeek at the deadline? I mean, can you in good faith give him anything other than an A? Like I just yeah. I mean, if you want to say he met expectations and that's about 85, you know, BB plus, then I, I, I understand that. But I, I do think we heard that there are a lot of teams in on Lindholm even after it, right? Like uh, Calgary went and made a really hard push. But he stuck with Boston. Like he chose Boston where he was able to get the best return because they were going to be able to keep him, right? That was something Boston was looking for is being able to extend him. Um you know, so I, I think that's a very clear win. The Manson thing is obviously a clear win. Bringing in a guy like Ellison, bringing in that second round pick, the Delorier trade. Yeah, man, I don't know what you know what more you want from it. Uh, the Raquel trade again seems like a total success. So I, I, I'd have a hard time giving him anything other than an A in good faith. Yeah. What about you? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right in there, like A minus. I think um, my 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 whole thought process. Like he he didn't lose any trades, and I and I think he. You know, I, I think none of the teams getting the players that they got from Anaheim lost it. Like they all made sense for both teams, which which is great to walk away from. Like it's nice to see a GM completely fleece somebody, 
but we didn't see that. And it's hard to do. I think in the Lindholm case, like again, I, I really love that trade because it was essentially he got the value of what a sign-in trade for Lindholm would be. And he picked Boston because they were probably one of the only teams that were interested in just doing that now and locking him down for eight years and just putting it in place. And I think if we had seen him go to a team where he was a pure rental, we would have seen less come in and probably would have been disappointed with that return. So it's a smart move in that sense to, again, just go and get as much as you can for this guy. Pick the best offer at the end of the day, right? So I, I think that was great. I think what they got mm -hmm. for, for Raquel was really good. I think the Manson trade is, is really underrated to get a second and a good prospect like that that is so close to the NHL, getting a third-round pick for Delore. So, yeah, I'm in that A minus A range. If that Dadunov trade had gone through, I, I probably would have been an A plus. That was my favorite trade of the whole deadline. You moved out absolutely nothing mm -hmm. to bring in a top six forward who, yeah, he makes $5 million for this year and next. That doesn't affect the Ducks. And you would have got another second-round pick. And all you gave up was John Moore, who you just acquired, and Ryan Kessler's, and Ryan Kessler's contract. contract, which expires at the end of this season. So you, you essentially just replaced whatever cap space you would have got from Ryan Kessler's contract expiring with a quality top six forward in Guinea Dadnav. And look what he's done over the last couple of games for Vegas. Just only proved why they should keep him, and he should be a part of that roster, right? I know they have cap issues, but... He would have been a great player to play with somebody like Trevor Zegers or somebody like Ryan Getzlaff, and it would have been a lot of fun watching him here. So I, I think if that – and that's not that's not a fault to Pat Verbeek. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's not his fault that that trade didn't go through. But for me, if that had have actually happened, like, if I'm taking that trade into consideration, it's an A-plus for me. Like, it's yeah. it's still for me, I guess I would lean to the A-plus because he pulled it off, and it just – the other teams messed it up, right? Like, they, right. they got to a point where, you know, the – information wasn't clearly presented to to anybody uh, that it fell apart but uh, yeah I, I i can't complain i'm not walking out of this deadline really disappointed with anything like it, it sucks to lose these guys who've been a part of us watching them for the last you know mm -hmm. 10 years but it's finally like a, a relieving moment to be in to know okay like the rebuild's actually happening now we've heard about it for the last five six years but like it's been talked about it's been said and now something's being done a lot to follow that path right where bob murray talked up the rebuild and whatever and then didn't really make any trades to go into that rebuild right oh no we're in a rebuild we've got a retool or whatever but then the the moves weren't made the actions weren't taken you know verbeek's been here for a couple months and and already proven that that he's fully committed to that path which which is the best thing coming out of this for me and he's made all the right you know comments he's he said all the right things he's done all the right things so far so it's a, it's an easy a I think to come out of this deadline, which which is exciting, right? It's it's tough losing these guys, but when you get a lot like that in return, and and you know things are moving in the right direction, it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, and I think the other thing that makes it easier too, and I, I don't know that this is the case for everybody, but for me, it, it, it is. I like all three of those guys, man. So to see or all four of those guys, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I love Deloria. Like to see those guys go to places where they're going to be able to compete and they're going to be able to to play meaningful games down the stretch is huge. Like, you know, all Stanley cup contenders. Yeah. We've been banging the drum all year, but we're so excited about what Minnesota can maybe do. And I'm a little bit bummed that they didn't do uh, a little bit more at the deadline, but you know, I'm excited for uh, first line power forward, Nick Delorier to, uh, <laughs> to step in and kind of show these kids how to win. But, you know, I, I think Lindholm is going to be, perfect in boston man i just he's already I looked think, amazing you know, this time next McElroy. year i yeah i mean honestly like this time next year the only two or three pairs that you could tell me have a legitimate chance to be better than them like on a nightly basis 
uh, is Ekblad Uyghur and Taves Makar. Like, you know, other than that, I, I don't know that you're going to find two high-end defensemen that you can put together and are going to fit together as well as I think McAvoy and Lindholm are going to do. I just think that's going to be a very strong pair for them and you know, I, I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic for Lindholm, man. I, I really do feel like he was underappreciated a little bit towards the end here. Um, he won't be now. He's going to get no, all man. all the attention playing on a team like Boston. It's so awesome. So I guess the the, the one question I want to ask you, or because I don't know how much more, like, is there anything else you really want to say about the Dadnoff thing other than, damn, that would have been sweet? Because yeah, there's not much. He else just to fills say. a very obvious hole, right? Like yep. you said, he's a legitimate top six winger. He's effective at both ends. He's consistently been 20, 25 goals plus. Uh, I don't think he's cracked 30 yet, but nope. he's like 25, 28, 26, a couple of seasons like that. Um, you know, and, and we saw his his release in the game where he had the OT winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he he's gonna be. Uh, uh, I mean, look, I think, like you said, right, like, they wanted to move him out because of cap concerns, but there's a reason he hadn't already been traded. Yep. They know he's good. This isn't, you know, this isn't them being like, we have to get this guy out of here. It's like, we have to move this amount of money, and we don't really have a lot of options to do it. Yeah. Um, I still don't know what they're going to so do. I don't know how much... Uh, they're going to shoot somebody, and it's just going to be weird. Well, they, they put Smith onto the LTIR. They brought Martinez right. back. Um, right now it says they have LTIR used of $10.87 million. So the, the only thing they have left is to figure out how to get Mark Stone off the LTIR and back into the roster. That's that's the process right now. But Does he make 9.5? Yeah, he makes 9.5. But they, they could do the Kucherov and just wait till the playoffs and bring him off the LTIR at that point, I believe, right? So that yeah, might be absolutely. the... But they got to make it first. <laughs> that's They actually yeah. got to get and in. That, so And that's that's the pickle they're in. And, and we'll have... I'm yeah. sure we'll do like a league-wide talk at some point and we can talk about the stupid rule they're trying to think that the cap is going to last into the playoffs. It's fucking stupid. No. Um, but I get, I get. I wanted to ask you, kind of like mentioning Minnesota, mm-hmm. who would be the teams that you thought, like, who's the one team you thought did the had the best deadline, and who did you think had the worst deadline if we exclude Anaheim? I, I th- and, and I specifically mean exclude Anaheim's bit, like Anaheim themselves. Like, obviously, like if yeah. you think it's Boston or you think it's you know Colorado, I get that. So. Yeah, it's it's tough. I I think like I really do like the moves Colorado made for their roster. I think they fit really well. Like Lekin and Manson, I think are really good fits. I, I like bringing in Nico Sturm, um, you know Andrew Cogliano. I really like their deadline. Um, for me, I think the winner is Florida. I think the you know the bringing in Claude Giroux. I know they lucked out in a sense. That was the only place he was willing to go. But for what they ended up giving up, and he's already had such a good impact playing with Barkov, like that—that's unbelievable addition to a team like that. Ben Sherratt, as much as you can call it an overpayment, I think he fits with what they needed, and he's been good in the couple. He's I think picked up an assist in each of the first couple of games he's played, and and been a a reliable kind of shot blocking defender for them, and and he fits down the depth chart where they're not going to really be hurt from what a lot of people were worried about is of him just you know not being as great defensively as he was made out to be. They won't feel it as much with him being their third-pairing guy, right? And right. 
Um, I think when Eckblad comes back, like they are a team I would not want to face. They are scary. Spencer Knight's come back up and he's gotten hot. So I, I would give them a slight edge over a team. Like I think Boston did some, some great work. Like Lindholm was just, he's just such a good fit for, and for what they got him for, for eight years. Mm -hmm. It's great. But yeah, Florida would be my winners and Boston and, uh, and Colorado kind of right, uh, right behind them. Montreal too, in, in, in the sellers market. Montreal did, mm -hmm. Montreal did really good for the you know getting what they got for Lekkinen and Sherratt. Um, you know, I, 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 what's their yeah, Hughes? Kevin Hughes is it? Their, their GM is Kevin. Yeah, Hughes? Kevin Hughes is the new GM. Great, great yeah, job cool. for coming in and getting full value for these guys that uh, more, are more than full value. Like he he pulled off some of the the best returns for for the guys he had at uh, at the deadline, which is great for him. So from a seller's point of view, I would I would put Montreal near the top too. Yeah, I, uh, Ken Hughes also had one of my favorite little quotes from Deadline Day because he used to be an agent, obviously, yeah. and I guess he was on calls with GMs, and the GMs were giving him shit like, oh, now the salary is <laughs> it. It's just like, yeah, man, that rocks. I love that stuff. Like that, you know, that, that just kind of dumb shit talking like that. Um, who do you think – do you think anybody came out of it with egg on their face? I, I don't know if like egg on their face. I, I you Brent mentioned already. I, f I feel like Minnesota could have done more. I know mm -hmm. they're you know I just they really needed another center or another another forward that isn't Nick Delorier. Um, I I do like the addition of Nick Delorier to that team. Like they're just trying to beat the shit out of everybody, and that's what they're gonna do. Like they've got a lot of guys who can do that. They're gonna be a hard physical team to play against. Uh, and I, I know, like, they're just so restricted with their cap to go out and, and, and do anything really significant with. They, they, they could look at JT Miller, but what's that going to look like next year when $14 million is being paid out to Parise and, and, uh, and Suter, right? Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's a tough go. I, I think besides that, I, I'm not a huge fan of what the Rangers did. They were in on so many guys. And then at the end of the day, like, um, what, what, who do they bring in? They... Petrano was one of the guys they brought in. Braun was yeah, they brought him guy. in for like a fourth. Braun, let me see where it is. But yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't. They didn't yeah. really do anything super big. Like they which did. I they, don't understand. Given they didn't do enough to take them above, you know, Carolina or Boston or Florida or Tampa. When all those teams added, um, you know, Toronto's up there Tyler too. Mont. Yeah, you know, so, okay, you know, they. I like their additions. I just, again, same with Minnesota. Like, there was just, they always were hinted to do more, and they just didn't do it. And then a lot of these other teams went out and, yeah, and and just did some extra stuff. The Leafs again, like, I have a lot of Leafs fans who live near me, and they're some of my friends that like are happy with the Leafs. I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest with you. Like, didn't address the goaltenders' knees. Got absolutely embarrassed by. By Arizona signing Harry Sateri, putting him on waivers, then he gets claimed by by the Coyotes, uh, bringing in no real forward help other than Blackwell. I know they don't really need it, but bringing in another you know top nine guy would have been helpful. Giordano's great, but I I don't know how much he helps that that team. You know, I, I think they needed another defenseman, so I do like the addition. But I think they needed a righty because they've got. I think their top four is all lefties, um, and and then yeah, just there's not getting any help in net was huge. Like that was brutal. The whole flurry situation was embarrassing for Kyle Dubis that that information got leaked by Davidson. Um, ultimately, like the rumored price that that was going to include Hagel was going to be two firsts and whatever for for Flurry and Hagel. 
and then Flurry ends up going for a conditional second to Minnesota. Like, you couldn't top that. Like, as a team, like, where you are and, and the cap situation you're in and, and this is your window, like, you can't be worried about giving up first-round picks for rentals, especially when the rental is a guy, a significant position of need in, in Marc-Andre Fleury. You know, find a way to get Mrazic out the door, either in that deal or another one. Go to go to Anaheim, go to Arizona, dump the cap, pay a third to get get him, you know, off the roster or whatever, and run with Flurry and Campbell. Cost you a conditional second, and and the the condition on the first round pick was you making was Minnesota making the Western Conference Final and Flurry winning four games in the first round. Like if that happens, then it worked out. And it's worth it. Like if you make it to the the Eastern Conference Final, if you're Toronto, it's worth the first round pick at that point because you've at least you've at least shedded the issue that you have, like the persona that you 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 lose in the first round every year. Like you've at least shedded that. He's got you to to the Eastern Conference Final, and you're within you know two rounds of of winning this the Stanley Cup. Like it's worth it at that point. That first round pick it would be twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty or thirty one or thirty two at that point, right? Or twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, or thirty two if you make it that far. I, yeah. I, I think it's embarrassing that they lost out to Minnesota in that deal when they were already having conversations to begin with. Like, drop the haggle stuff. I understand the price was insane. Just go for Flurry. Like, you need it. And, uh, yeah, it was just an embarrassing day. I think if you anybody got egg on their face, it's Kyle Dubas. Like, that that day yeah. was just embarrassing for him. And the Giordano trade was good, but just the rest of it all, you know, all brought in together. It was just not a good look for them. They have Like, you look at their numbers. I saw somebody post this today. They're, like, top five in everything. But goals against and goaltending, like they're twenty fifth and twenty fourth, I think in in like save percentage and expected goals against, like the clear clear need, and you didn't do anything to help it. You just run into the into the playoffs again with Jack Campbell and Peter Mrazek and hope not to lose in the first round when you've got to play either Florida, Boston, or Tampa likely or Carolina, like. Look at the teams you have to play and look what they did at the deadline. They all made significant ads. And the Leafs did nothing. So that, that for me, is embarrassing. Yeah, I think the team for me that I... I think, yes, I think Toronto is the very clear winner. I think if you're Kyle Dubas, like you said, I, you have to not... I, 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 to me, I look at three teams over the last 20 years, right? And I think if you're the Leafs, these are the teams you have to look at. Tampa Bay, uh, Pittsburgh, and Detroit. Yep. All three of those teams punted on picks and prospects they did two things to make sure that that happened they had really good guys at the top of the lineup and they made sure to find guys at the bottom rounds right yeah they used those picks to fill position Kyle Dubas is supposed to be that guy right isn't the whole thing like he's not a traditional analytics guy he's actually a ring grab blah 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 okay great so what you're telling me is you have the practical scouting experience that a lot of teams are looking for and you have a a very strong knowledge or, or appreciation or familiarity with analytics. I don't know how you can't take those two things and use those to your benefit. The first round pick does not matter to you as much as it's going to matter to someone else. Like you said, the moment you get out of the first round, deep breath. Yep. It's huge. And so for me, I, I feel like, Giordano's fine. Like, I think he's going to be good. I think if they're, like, last pairs, like him and Brody, then I think that's actually a very strong third pair. Right. I think... The success him and Brody had in Calgary, like, it makes sense. I get it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, like you said, it's a very good pickup. I think he's going to do a good job for them. I don't think they paid particularly much. No. Two seconds um, and a third, it, it is what it is. Yeah, fine. 
I just, like you said, they, they did not improve themselves enough to keep pace with everybody else around them. And they were already a little bit behind. Matthews has, you know, turned into one of the best defensive forwards in the league this year. You already have Marner, who has been a very strong defender, plays on the penalty kill, some of that kind of stuff. Like, you've got these really high-end pieces, and you're wasting them. And it's because you can't find consistent help on the blue line, and you can't find a goaltender. You thought it was Campbell. You brought in Mrazek to be a backup after having a good year last year. And turns out Mrazek was good in Carolina, which is where the guy that they let go is playing and is a quote-unquote Vezina contender. So, like, at a certain point, Toronto really needs to, like, look in the mirror as, like, what the fuck are we doing here? Um, but for me, the other one that hurts is, is and, and this is a weird thing to say, but, like, San Jose. Like, I, mm-hmm. they, I just don't understand how you keep Thomas Hurdle. Yeah. They need so many young players. Like, look, they were talking about it on the broadcast last night. They have like $26.5 million logged, or locked up in Burns, Vlasic, and Carlson. And Carlson's the youngest at 32. Mm-hmm. On top of that, Couture makes like $8 million. Timo Meyer's going to need a new contract. Like, you've got all these guys. Thomas Hurdle, I get why you don't want to lose him. We talked about how good he is all year. We talked about how you know, how many different places he steps in and and just completely changes the dynamic of what that team can achieve. But in the pipeline, they've got, like, Eklund, and, like, that's it. And William Eklund is going to be really good. I am so excited to see what he becomes. But you can't just have William Eklund. You need some of these guys. You needed to go out and try to get Rossi. You needed to go out try to get Bowlby. Try to go get Othman, right? Like, I don't understand how you, Doug Wilson wasn't more aggressively shopping hurdle to these teams that needed them. Like, again, the two teams that we were talking about specifically is Minnesota and New York, because next year their cap hits spike. This is a singular year in which both of these teams are, one, having very good years as far as a, a production and, uh, you know, competitive standpoint, but two, they don't have another chance like this. These are not teams that are going to be at 70, 72 million in cap hit for very long. And I think it's a legitimate waste of opportunity. Like you said with their, with uh, Toronto, it feels like Toronto had a Murray type of, of mm-hmm. blue line where it's like, I brought in some good young pieces that or I brought in some good supporting pieces that are going to help us. I didn't overpay too bad for anything, but I also wasn't willing to give up anything to really make a difference. And it's like, okay, but look where the ducks are right now. Like, I don't disagree with that process at certain points. I don't think you ever want to overreact to anything, but I don't think you can be shy about going all in. And that's the one thing that I will always give credit to for Iserman and Brisebois. Uh, for Rutherford and for Ken Holland. Like, they understood how fickle a competitive window is, and they ran Mm -hmm. to get through it as fast as they could. Um, You know, so I I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think those are the teams for me that definitely, I think Dubas, like you said, walks out of here with egg on his face. I think Toronto as a whole is still in a reasonably okay place. I just think at this point it's like, Mm-hmm. Dubas is mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the, the whole this is the flurry thing for for Dubas. Like, listen, like the premise that Dubas has been putting out there in that 
I don't want to trade my first round picks for rentals. I agree with at some level. Like I understand it. Yeah. Like there are certain guys like as a rental, like it's just not worth moving the first round pick unless it's significantly going to fill a hole. I think for them, the only one exception to that was Marc Andre Fleury, and it wasn't going to cost you a first unless you made it to the Eastern Conference Final. That's what it was going to come down to, and you just didn't want to fill that hole. And like you had mentioned, all those those teams, you know, um, Pittsburgh and Detroit and now Tampa Bay have moved those first round picks out for guys that make a difference and it's worked out for them. Got you know, positional holes or organizational holes they needed to fill. Tampa in their case they needed some, you know, gritty defensive forwards in their bottom six to complement the skill they have in the top. And they did that and they went out and paid a first for Goodrow. They paid a first for Coleman. Like they paid two firsts for Hagel to play him on the penalty kill. He scored a short-handed goal a couple games ago and just be a, a nice depth option. They can move up if somebody gets hurt and, you know, he's a 20-goal scorer this year, whatever. Like, it makes sense for them to go do, do those moves. You remember some of the moves that Pittsburgh did where they moved first-round picks for, for to fill positional holes on defense or, you know, another top-six winger or a backup goaltender or whatever. Like, that's when it makes sense to move those first-round picks. Would it have made sense for Toronto to move a first-round pick for Giroux? Probably not. They don't really need him per se with the, this, the, the skill they have. I would say, you know, go out and get a top nine guy that is a little bit better than what you have now, and that's fine. But when it came down to it, like goaltending was the area. If you can get a guy like Fleury, that's where if you're Toronto, you pay the first. And you didn't even have mm-hmm. to outright pay it, which is, that's the crazy thing for me. In San Jose, I agree. Like, I think with Hurdle, with Giroux limiting himself to Florida, San Jose would have had everybody by the balls. Like, yep. you want... You want a number one center? Giroux chose his market, and it was one team. You want him? This is the only guy out there. This is the only guy out there you can go get. Beyond Giroux, who was the top forward moved? Raquel? Like Who who else was a significant forward moved at deadline day? I think like it was Giroux and Raquel as rental forwards. Yeah. I'm trying to yeah, think Yeah, I mean, I, Lickinen, I think, can have an outsized impact yeah. because he's had such strong underlying numbers, and he's going to walk into a team that is just better like he's just you know going from montreal to colorado i think but yeah i mean i think you're probably looking at those three and i don't know that that's really all that exciting because lekin and and raquel both are good and impactful but they are not fundamental difference makers yeah yeah and we're talking way that like adding drew is yeah and if we're talking centers too with with drew basically taking himself off the market there's only one top six center available and it's it would have been hurdle um, you know, maybe again, they're primitive to the offers just weren't where they were wanted when they were asking for it. Um, and they just wanted to resign him at that point. Cause they, they didn't think they were going to get what they wanted and they didn't want to go through the deadline with him not signed. But man, like I, I could just only imagine like you could have held teams hostage for hurdle, you know, whether it's New York or whether it's Minnesota who both have really deep prospect pools and can get you, you know, uh, a Kraftsov or a Schneider or a Lundqvist, you know, or in Minnesota's case, a Rossi or something like that. Like that, that's what they should be doing. And they're almost, you know, in the same boat where the Ducks were a couple of years ago and not moving guys like Henrik and Silverberg in a sense because they wanted to try and extend a little bit of a run that, that just didn't exist. And it feels like the Sharks are trying to maybe take one more shot at it with this team that they have while they have Burns and Carlson uh, and Vlasic and, and, I, I fully expect they think they can make the playoffs next year and, and, and have a chance at going for it with, with the roster they have, adding Eklund to that team. You know, with the Pacific Division <coughs> being weak, like maybe they make the playoffs, but the, 
you're now locked into the hurdle for what well, he signed an eight year, right? An eight year deal. Uh huh. Eight year over eight mil, yeah. Until thirty six, he's gonna make that deal. So you're gonna get eight years from now. You could potentially be in the same spot you are with Burns and Carlson right now with Hurdle. So yeah, that's exactly where they're gonna be. So Which, I don't know. Man. Fine by me. The Sharks can handcuff themselves yeah. all they want. <laughs> I, I wanted better for Hurdle. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, you know, if they're gonna walk themselves to the edge, I'm not gonna stop them. Yeah. Um, all right. So that so. that's it for the trade deadline stuff. I know we're running at an hour and a half, but I did we did want to quickly chat about um, Terry hitting thirty um, and Zegris getting thirty one assists and becoming the all time or not the, not the all time like yeah the rookie most assists. He's the rookie rookie assist record. Yeah. Yeah. In Anaheim. So they they both did that uh, or no it was Chicago for for Zegris and Nashville for Terry. So Terry hit 30 in the game against Nashville. He's got 30 goals, 53 points in 60 games. Just an unbelievable breakout year from him. And then Zegris with the assist against Chicago gave him 31, 16 goals, 31 assists, 47 points in 59 games played. Uh, by far, best two forwards on the team this year. Great to see them kind of do that in in a week where we're mired in a, at the time of doing it, seven and eight game losing streaks, now a nine game losing streak. But you know, it's again a little glimpse at the future, right? For Zegris just having an un- unbelievable year at 21, first real full season in the league. He is likely going to finish with 20 goals and 55, 60 points, which is unbelievable. And then Terry asserting himself as a, a 30 goal. I think that's even more important than, you know, obviously we knew this was coming from Zegris, but like this turnaround from seven goals and 28 points in 48 games last year to 30 goals 53 points and 60 games for terry this year like that's i don't think i've ever seen a jump like that to be honest with you for a guy who's played that many games in the nhl you know 100 plus games in the nhl before three seasons and then to, to make a jump from four four seven to 30 and potentially 40 by the end of the year maybe if he gets hot yeah i mean I think the two that you can look at is Marshawn and Chichu, maybe, as far as guys taking those kind of huge jumps. But, you know, uh, I don't even know how you compare anybody to Marshawn. And then Chichu, like, that was just a weird thing. Like, I don't even know what completely happened with that. He had, like, two or three really, really great years. And then it just fell completely off for him. Excuse me, I get the hiccups. Um so, you know, I, I think you're 100% right. Like, seeing what Zegris has been able to do has been huge. Seeing his playmaking ability, like, actually be there. Like, it, right, like, you just hear about these guys and you hear about their skill sets and their styles. And when you actually see it in in action, it just it changes the reality of it. And to have Terry pop for 30 goals this year. I just, I think that's the biggest development of this year by a long shot. Like other than Verbeek, the biggest reason to be excited for next year is that it looks like Terry's a superstar. Like it, I mean, at least like he looks like he's like going to be an all-star as far as like in those conversations on a regular basis. And again, he was a fifth round pick and yep. that's the kind of stuff you love to see. And I just, there's so much to be excited for with him and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year after he's had this big pop this year. And, you know, uh, I'm going to be uh, I don't know, just curious to see kind of how how he comes into next year and what he looks like and what happens when he kind of has his first goal scoring slump. Like they just you're going to have one every year. 
So it, it'll be interesting. But I think, like you said, with those two and, and you know, McTavish looking as great as he did in seven or eight games at the beginning of the year, like I think he still has the highest war per 60 of anybody on the team yeah. because he just ran around <laughs> like a madman for a few games. And it's exciting, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's Those are the two guys that I think you can look at and say – these are the guys, the rest of these guys are going to fill around. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more than reasonable to say that McTavish and at least one of uh, Pastillov or Perot should step into that group as well and really be part of that kind of core moving forward. And that's for adding Jamie, right? That's for bringing Jamie and Zellweger. Whoever you get this year too, right? Top 10 pick this year. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I know. It's going to be huge. geeky. Yeah. Someone like that. Brad Lambert, your your favorite. <laughs> yeah, I, I next year will be important from Terry. The good thing is like from a lot of breakout guys we've seen where like it just doesn't feel like it's gonna fall apart, right? Like there's just there's such a shift in watching Terry last year and watching him this year. And you know, a lot mm-hmm. of it again, like so feels cliche and kind of dumb to say but like the confidence is just there and it, again he's had some slumps this year like he's got one goal in his last five games but he just every time he's out there he looks the same he yes. looks dangerous he's attacking defenders he looks like he you know can make a play on on any occasion and now he's just so multifaceted in that like he's not he's not an exceptional suit shooter he's got an underrated shot but he's a you know great playmaker. He's a great play driver. He's probably the, one of the better stick handlers on the team, and he's just got this like well-rounded skill set now that you you just can't really see it falling apart, um, which I think is great. Now obviously next year is going to be huge, and we'll see how that goes. But he, he I don't know. I'm I, I'm at least confident that that he can continue to do this. Now thirty goals is is tough, yeah. Um, but I I can still see him being a consistent twenty goal guy. And, you know, a 50 to 60 point guy who's just a real asset to you in, in all facets of the game. Like defensively, you know, you put him on a line with anybody and he's still, that's the thing too with Terry this year. We, we, you know, one thing with Raquel when he was put up the 30 goal seasons is when we saw him with anybody but the line with the Getzloff line that he was with, it wasn't the same. We've seen Terry mm-hmm. with a bunch of different guys this year. It doesn't matter who he plays with. It doesn't matter who he's out there with. Mm-hmm. He is the focal point of that line making things happen. You know, if, yeah. if you want somebody to carry the puck in the neutral zone and get it into the the offensive zone, it's it's Troy Terry, right? It's so it's that's that's the benefit I think from or the thing I've noticed and, and looking forward to with Terry is that uh, that he's doing that no matter who he's with, and it doesn't look like it will fall off. Especially if he's going to continue playing with Zegers, it's only going to get better from here. So. Yeah, no, there's an aggressiveness and assertiveness to his game right now. Like he, he, you know, like you said, like I don't know that his shot is anything uh, exceptional, right? He's not one of those kind of guys. But what he does is he drives into the center of the ice. He gives himself the, you know, the most to shoot at. And he uses defenders as screens incredibly well. You know, like they were talking about it the other night. Like he just plays in the triangle on defenders. And he's just beating guys and just kind of just hid the puck under them. And then he's behind them. And, you know, that's just, 
that's that's mindset stuff. You know what I mean? That's yeah. just that's the kind of stuff where it's just like I'm going in here. This is what I'm doing, and you know we've seen him go for plays that just fall apart. I you know we've all seen I'm sure plays where you're like oh wish you would have passed it, oh wish you would have just shot it or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is he's going in aggressive, and he is making a point to make a play. Whether it is trying to set somebody else up, whether it is ripping that little toe drag shot that he's got, like he is absolutely just asserting himself on the ice at both ends and it's an incredibly um wonderful thing to see and it's very uh exciting for what he can develop into over the next couple years and what that can mean for anaheim i'm excited say the least it'll be nice next year to see uh the same of these guys back then obviously adding mctavish and a few others it's Mm -hmm. Lots to look forward to for the end of this year, too, with maybe Perot and Tracy getting called up and um, the, the Calder race with Zegris and, you know, Lucas also getting a few more games. So despite the nine-game losing streak, there's still reasons to tune in, still reasons to watch the games, get excited. And, um, you know, it's like you had mentioned, somebody mentioned this in the chat earlier today, like as much as it's tough to hear, I know for a lot of people, it's still it's still a win-win. You know, you win games, great, they won. And we want mm-hmm. to see them win. We go into every game wanting them to win. If they lose, all it means you have better odds of getting, you know, into the lottery for a number one pick. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt for the rest of this year that we, we want to watch them win. It's great when you see them win. If they lose, there's at least a light at the end of the tunnel that, that you know, the losing that game doesn't mean you know, we're not chasing a playoff spot where every game you lose is a nightmare, right? There's, there's at least something to gain potentially from, from losing these games and, Ducks have moved into the 10th best odds for the first overall pick, which means they can make that jump now from 10 to 1 potentially in the lottery. So let's get excited. We'll uh, we'll be back in a week from now with another show breaking down the, the upcoming week, a couple games against the Stars, which are going to be tough games. Um, so we'll break down those games. Uh, we're going to do our prospect update show soon with the college seasons ending and the junior hockey seasons in Canada coming to a close soon. Um, we'll be looking at Zellweger and McTavish, Thrun, Colangelo, all those guys, and giving an update on how their seasons went. So once we get a bit closer to the end of the junior hockey season, uh, we'll put together that show and, and put it out. Uh, but appreciate you guys coming out now. Appreciate you guys listening to the show. And uh, we will be back next week. Take care, guys. Bye, everybody.